My guess is that you, like me, often take things for granted. For example, it was a few months ago that I got a call from Emily while I was here at church saying that there was water in our basement because, well, our hot water heater was suddenly deciding to leak water down the sides. I decided that perhaps it was something I might be able to look at or fix on my own. Then looking at it again a day or two later, thought, maybe not. So it ended up being about a week that we were without a, a hot water heater. It's one of those things you don't really think that much of about being able to turn your faucet to the left and suddenly have nice hot water coming out. Or when you get up in the morning, being able to just crank the shower handle all the way to the left and nice warm water coming out until you crank your faucet to the left or all the way up and all that comes out is cold water. And then suddenly something that you've overlooked and perhaps even taken for granted, suddenly you appreciate a whole lot more. My guess is if you've ever had your air conditioning go out at home or in your car, you've had the same experience, right? Perhaps it's something that you forgot for a moment. You come home from work or you get in your car and you crank the air up only to be met with warm air. It makes you appreciate air conditioning. Or I suppose in a few weeks, heat when the air is cold. Right? Things that are, are very easy to take advantage or take take for granted because you get so used to them you after a while you don't really notice them until suddenly they're gone or not there i think the same can be true spiritually as well right things that we hear again and again or, or things that we've heard before that after a while we don't really think about or we don't really ponder or consider things that are oftentimes so basic that we've learned perhaps a while ago that we begin to overlook and we don't fully appreciate as much until either something happens where we're forced to reckon with it or perhaps your pastor starts talking about it and saying perhaps there are some things that we shouldn't quite take for granted like this morning there are plenty of things that we have read, that we've read, that we've heard at church and sermons, perhaps that we've studied in Bible class that we've heard so many times, it doesn't really hit home anymore. Some of the very basic things of what God tells us in his word. And so this morning, we're going to take the opportunity to look at the gospel lesson that we heard just a few moments ago and remind ourselves again of one of those basic things of what the Bible is really about. And at face value, you should be probably thinking to yourself, well, that's obvious enough. Just don't tune out quite yet, okay? Because if you were to ask people what the Bible is about outside of, say, this room, you'd probably start to get a number of different answers. If you asked the people that you worked with, your, your neighbors, you'd start to get different answers about what they would see as being what the Bible is all about. Some might say it's just simply a collection of, of stories, perhaps Jewish folklore, things that happened a long time ago or in the history of the Israelites that are important because of, well, a historical sense of importance, but really in the grand scheme of things, not that big a deal. 
There'd be some that would say, well, the Bible is just another holy book that can be put on the same level as any other holy book that a person might have, right? The, the Koran, or you could look at it and say it's no different than the Book of Mormon. Just another holy book of a religion. Others would look at the Bible and say, well, here is God's guide to how people are to live here on earth. Right? It's nothing more than a checklist or a book of rules or a book of guidance that helps people live in a way that, well, God told them to live. And even if you don't believe in God, it might give you some ideas as far as what a good life might look like. My guess is all of those are far different than how you would look at Scripture. Which means it's good for us for a moment to take a moment to take a look at well, what's the Bible really about? And, and Jesus gives us an answer this morning in our gospel lesson. He tells us the Bible is all about freedom. Listen to how he is talking with some Jews who had believed in him. He said, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And those Jews answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? In talking about freedom, Jesus hints at something to the, the, the Jews that they quickly picked up on. That they weren't free. And the Jews responded by saying, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we are not free? But Jesus was looking at a, a little bit bigger picture of how you and I, as humans, are enslaved. And, and we have a, a sense of it. And I'm going to use Luther as an example. Martin Luther was born in the late 1400s, and by the early 1500s was, was, born, well, was born into a family that was very religious. In fact, Luther ended up becoming a priest. His father had hoped that he would become a lawyer, but in the middle of a, a, a thunderstorm, Luther thought that St. Anne had saved him and so decided he was going to dedicate his life to the church, decided to become a priest, and by the, the early 1500s was well on that path. In fact, the, the, the people that were around Luther in the church recognized Luther's gifts and not only said to, to, for him to become a priest, but a, a teacher in the church. And he became a, a scholar and a professor at the University of, of Erfurt and then Wittenberg. He knew the Bible in and out. He lectured on Genesis, on the Psalms, on, on a number of different New Testament books. He knew Hebrew, he knew Greek, he, he knew God's Word. And yet there was turmoil in Luther's heart. Because as Luther read Scripture, what he saw was a God who was angry. What he saw was a God who was asking him to do something that no matter how hard Luther tried, he couldn't do. Right? You can read some of the accounts of Luther's early life and, and all the things he did in order to try and silence his conscience. Because he would work hard and his conscience would tell him, you aren't good enough, you're still sinful, and so he would work hard. He would abuse his body, right? He'd sleep on, on the floor without a blanket in the middle of winter in hopes of somehow quieting his conscience and appeasing the God who continued to seemingly whisper in his ear, 
You haven't done enough, and what you've done isn't good enough. Luther was enslaved, wasn't he? His conscience told him, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you aren't good enough for God. My guess is, your conscience has whispered the exact same message in your ear. Because your conscience likes to drag out of the closet skeletons that have been there a long time that you don't really like to see, and it reminds you of things you've done, things that you've said, sins that you've committed. And as your conscience whispers those things in your ear and brings those sins to light again and again, what begins to pile up is guilt. And it seems as though no matter what you do, no matter the things you try, no matter how hard you try to to do what's right and to do what's good, it just doesn't shut up. Your conscience continues to whisper just like it did with Luther. And then you look, and what's whispering in your other ear is a society that says, you're free. Do whatever you want. Right? That that says it doesn't matter what God says in his word. If it makes you feel good, if it makes you happy, do it because you're free. And society entices you with that freedom that says if you you really want to be free from that, just do whatever you want. And perhaps you give in to that, and then what you quickly realize is that's nothing but slavery too. Because you do it, perhaps you, you give in to those desires, you do what your, your sinful nature craves, and right after that, guess what kicks in? Your conscience. Reminding you how you've sinned. Reminding you of guilt. You quickly realized, as free as I might think I am, by nature I'm not. And because I'm enslaved, what I eventually see for myself and what God's word reveals to me is that if I remain in that that state of of slavery to sin, what's waiting for me is, is death. And not just physical death here on earth, ultimately eternal death and separation from from God and his love. A separation from God and, and all that is good. And just in case... There might have been someone listening to Jesus then or listening to Jesus now. He finally summarizes and says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Free? Far from it, huh? And yet, as as a slave to sin, what do I want more than anything? Freedom. Freedom. How great it would be, huh, to have a a conscience that I can quiet. A conscience that listens to me when I say that sin is is gone and and doesn't need to be dealt with. That a conscience that recognizes guilt is, is gone. What I want more than anything is freedom. Which is what God tells us all about in his word. Because when Adam and Eve 
disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, the result of, of that disobedience of God was that every man, woman, and child after them was born into sin. Was born in sin, and as Jesus said, was made a slave to sin. And so the Bible recounts for us all that God has done in order to free us. Right, right after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God comes to them and he makes them a promise that someone is going to come eventually who is going to free them from their sin, who is going to destroy the devil and his work and free them. And Adam and Eve had the idea, maybe this is going to be right away. And so you see it in how they name Seth and Cain and Abel, right? That they were hoping, here is the one that God is going to send. And God ends up telling them, not yet. And it's thousands of years later that God finally keeps his promise. And he doesn't just send a man, but he sends his own son. He sends his own son because finally only God himself was going to be able to do what, it need, what needed to be done in order to, slay, to save, in order to, to rescue us and set us free from sin. And so Jesus comes and he lives in our place and he dies on the cross. And there you have, a, a, we, ha, we see God's love, huh? We see God doing all that you and I were completely unable to do. We see God himself stretched out on a cross, taking the rejection of God the Father in our place. <clears throat> it's finally what Luther began to realize that set him free from his guilt and from his sin. That as he looked in and studied scripture, what the Holy Spirit began to open Luther's eyes to was the fact that there was nothing that Luther could do that would set him free from sin. And instead what he began to see was a God who loved him so much that he sent his son to make him righteous for him. What Luther began to see, Luther wasn't a, a child of God because of anything Luther had done, but because of everything God had done. What he began to figure out was that, God was that God's love for him was not going to change one bit on Luther's worst day, and it was going to be no more or no less on Luther's best day. Because God's love for him wasn't dependent on him, it was dependent on God. And that's the truth that sets us free, isn't it? To hear our God tell us that his love for us isn't dependent on what we do or how we act. That God doesn't love us any less on the worst day where sin seems to reign. And he doesn't love us any more on our very best day where it seems as though we've done everything right. Because God's love for you isn't based on you. It's based on Jesus, who came and died for you. Right? What the Bible begins to reveal to us is this unbelievable love that God has for sinners like you and I. Sinners who were enslaved by sin, who could do no right. 
sinners who desperately needed someone to come and free them. And so God himself comes and he forgives our sins. He lives in our place and he frees us from sin. Right? He, he calls us to faith and looks each one of us in the eye now and says, not only are you forgiven, but when your conscience begins to whisper in your ear about the things that you've done and reminds you of guilt that you have, you have an answer. You have a Savior. A Savior who not only dealt with your sin, but has taken away your guilt. A Savior who, who loves you. A Savior who sets you free. A Savior who now sets you free to live as a child of God. To be able to look at God's laws and the things that he tells us and not go, I have to do these and I have to do them perfectly, otherwise God's going to be angry, but now looks at those things that God tells us to do and those things that he tells us to avoid and says, here is a, a picture of God showing his love for me, right, as he knows what's best for me. A God who has saved me and sent his son to die for me so what do I do as a child of God? Set free from sin and guilt? My Savior sets me free to, to serve him. Right? A, a Savior who sets me free now to, to live as his child, to, to do those things that God tells me to do, to avoid those things he tell, tells me to avoid, not just so that I might stick out like a sore thumb in society, but because I have a God who knows what's best. A God who saves me. A God who's freed me. And as a result, a, a God whom I serve. That's what the Bible's all about, isn't it? As I look to the pages of Scripture, God reminds me again and again of, of how by nature I was enslaved to sin and had no hope of salvation. And even more clearly shines God's love. A love that caused him to come to earth, to live and die in my place, so that he could tell me that I'm forgiven. So that he could tell me that I'm no longer a slave to sin because I have a Savior who's freed me. That now as a child of God, I'm free to serve him. No longer a slave to sin, but a servant of Christ. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Jesus. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east treetop family adventure and sports blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday school and Bible class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service.